This episode of Boss Level Podcast is sponsored by Academy of Philosophy, Finland's leading trainer of smart habits. Academy of Philosophy helps people hack their working skills. If you want less stress and a better workflow, you should hack yours too. Hacking in this context means clear priorities, smart meeting habits, and efficient and quality ways of communicating and delegating, both at the team and personal level. So, for example, if Slack notifications interrupt your work all the time, maybe it's time to have a talk with your team and simply agree on how often members respond to messages and how to communicate when under an actual emergency. In other words, developing your team meta skills and routines. And this is what Academy of Philosophy can help you with. Go to academyofphilosophy.com to learn more or to book a training. Welcome to Boss Level Podcast. I'm your host, Sami. And my guest today is Troy Hunt. And in the recent years, Troy has become a well-known security expert. And one of the things that he does is he runs a service called Have I Been Pwned, which allows you to check whether your email has been leaked as a part of a data breach. So first, me and Troy talk about security online, securing your accounts, using password managers, and so on. And then we discuss privacy. And in regards to privacy, Troy, it seems uh, Troy is more relaxed when it comes to privacy compared to me and my views on it. And uh, actually, I think that that led to a very interesting discussion. We're both basically trying to be very pragmatic about it and trying to figure out what are the trade-offs that we're willing to make when it comes to convenience versus privacy. I hope you enjoy this episode. You are listening to The Boss Level Podcast. Troy, welcome to the Bossable Podcast. Cool, thank you very much. So uh, let's just start off with some of your background. So uh, very simply, who are you and what do you do for those who don't know you? Well, as you can probably hear, I am an Australian. I do uh, a lot of security things. I think you meant to say cyber these days. <laughs> a lot of cyber things. Uh, so my background is as a developer. And for probably about the last nine years, I'd say I've been focusing a lot more on security. And I, I guess these days I'm probably most well known for running uh, Have I Been Pwned, the data breach aggregation service. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to that. And I I'm so glad that you had to pronounce it first and not me. Have I been pwned? <laughs> okay, <laughs> hey, this is what makes it fun. You know, sometimes people say, "Oh, yeah, maybe you shouldn't call it that because some people don't know how to pronounce it and they try different things." And it's like, "No, nah, man, this is part of the fun of it. <laughs> you know? like, this is for my amusement as well." Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. Okay, so were you first a developer and, and then started getting more and more interested in security, or how did that work? Yeah, so I started building for the web in '95. So that, that was the year I started uni, and I started seeing the web, and I started building web pages, and, and later on, more sort of functional apps. Uh, and I went into a career as, as a developer and then as an architect. 
And getting through to, so, so it must have been about 2009 era, I was uh, working at Pfizer Pharmaceuticals, the big uh, healthcare company. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know Pfizer, you probably have heard of Viagra. <laughs> so we made Viagra <laughs> along with other, other products of note. And uh, I, I had a role there that looked after our architecture for Asia Pacific. So every time we built apps anywhere from sort of India to China to Australia, uh, I was involved in the, the design and the execution of that. And what I was constantly seeing is when developers actually went out and built these applications, just seeing like egregiously bad security flaws. And look, I mean, part of their strategy was outsourced to the cheapest market. Everything got outsourced. So that, that may have had something to do with it. As yeah. it turns out uh, that, that can actually impact quality. And uh, <laughs> I was seeing just sort of continual security problems. And I started writing about fundamental security concepts targeted at developers. And I found that there was a, a real niche here in terms of, of writing material that developers could consume. And that really sort of resonated with people. And, you know, one thing led to another. And I started doing a lot of, uh, a lot of online training and in-person training and conferences and things like that. Uh, okay, let's start moving into the topic of Have I Been Pwned? So what, what is that and what, what is that service all about? Uh, the principle is that it's a data breach aggregation service. So when we see data breaches occur and then the data from those incidents spread out around the web, I go and locate this data and I load it into the system and I make it discoverable. Uh, and what that means is, is that for people like you and I, we can go to haveibeenpwned.com, put our email address in the front page and it will come back and say, you've been in this data breach, that data breach, that data breach. Uh, and as of today, there's about 5 billion uh, separate records, just over 5 billion actually records yeah, I was of just looking at it in data breaches. Yeah, I, was, I was looking at it yesterday. I was just like, the, the amount of the data breaches is ridiculous. 5 billion. <laughs> yeah, look, it's an astronomical figure. And the, the thing is, it keeps growing really solidly as well. Yeah. So on average, I load a data breach once about every four days. Uh, and sometimes it goes in ebbs and flows, particularly based on things like travel schedule. But there's a great big backlog of data I'm still sitting on that I have to go through and process too. And yeah. it, it's harder than what it sounds because one of the challenges is, is that I've got so much data there where I don't know that the companies have been breached even know about it. And I can't just turn around tomorrow and just, you know, load uh, Acme Core's data without Acme Core knowing that they had a breach. So yeah. there's a whole disclosure process I continually go through with organisations as well where I have to say, look, someone has taken your data, they've sent it to me, you really need to know about this before the masses do. Yeah, I was looking at the data breaches yesterday and looking through all the email addresses that I have. And, and the main one that I used had three breaches, uh, Bitly, Discuss, and uh, LinkedIn that, that I was able mm. to find. And yeah, I mean, it's ridiculously easy when you just go onto the site, you just write your email and you get the data breaches and, and then you'll know that at least these passwords, I definitely need to change. Yeah, and you, look, you're right. It is supremely easy to use. And, and frankly, in, in terms of what the service does, it's very simple as well. It's yep. just a great table of data and, and you search for it. Yep. What's sort of been more interesting about the project for me, though, is that I didn't think it would be popular. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. I just thought, oh, this, this will be a bit of fun, you know. Like People will find it useful. I can play with some cloud things. It'll be a good experiment. <laughs> and then what I've learned over time is that it's actually been massively popular. Yeah. And a, a, a sort of a baseline normal day now is about 100,000 people a day come to the site. And on a big day, it might be several million because there's been some major event. Yeah. And it's, it's actually given me a, a lot of opportunity 
to play with things like uh, how do I how do I really make dollars stretch? How do I make the cloud scale uh, in, in a sustainable way? And particularly dealing with things like when it hits prime time TV, that's a really fun process because you go from a normal static set of traffic through to uh, tens of thousands of people all picking up their mobile device at the same time and plugging in the URL they've just seen on the telly. Uh, okay. Another aspect of how I've been pwned was when, when I was uh, browsing the website, I also noticed that there was a section where you could enter your password to see whether it has been used. And when I was looking at that, and of course, I've heard about the site uh, like several times <laughs> for, for like several years, and I, I know that it's it's for real. But looking at that, like, enter your password here. Oh, no, no. I was like, oh, so here, here's no, the, come on. Here's the backstory on this. Yeah. Uh, I, back in August, released a service called Pwned passwords. And the reason for this was that NIST in the US, the National Institute of Standards Technology, came out with a bunch of advice about how to do authentication better. Really, really good advice. And one of the things they said is that if you're running a website, you shouldn't let people use passwords that have been in previous data breaches, which makes a lot of sense because attackers are getting these previous breaches and they're trying to log into people's accounts on other services And because people are fallible humans and they reuse passwords, well, a lot of stuff gets broken into. So I built that service out in August with about 320 million passwords. Uh, And it was quite popular. And I I had on the website a a big caveat that said, you know, don't enter your real password here. You know, you can trust me. I'll do the right thing. But this is not the right message to send. Like, just don't do this. Yep, exactly. And when I got to do version two, and this, this goes back a couple of months now, uh, I ramped it up to just over half a billion. So there's, I think, about 502 million passwords or something in there now. And I also worked with Cloudflare to come up with this really awesome anonymity model where the password itself never gets sent to the server. It's just a subset of the characters of a hash. So the bottom line is I can never tell uh, what the actual password is when it comes to me. And when when we did this model, I sort of went, no one's paying any attention to the warning anyway. <laughs> I'll just yeah. take it out. You know, so now it doesn't say don't enter your real password. And if people do enter their real password, then I never get anything usable. They get a message back, which is almost certainly going to tell them the password was terrible. They'll change their behavior. Great end result. Yeah, I hope. I really hope. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, like, <laughs> technically, I, well, uh, technically, I totally understand what you're saying. And a lot of people talk about this, that the biggest threat is is the human being and, and their ability not to understand that they're being socially engineered and so on. Yeah, the real risk here would be if someone, by virtue of using Have I Been Pwned and the Pwned password search, then became somewhat desensitized and was more likely to fall for a phishing attack. Look, I'd love to see if someone had stats on that. Yeah, <laughs> I think it would yeah, be a very hard yeah. thing to measure. What we are seeing as well is now, because of the way the anonymity is implemented, there's actually lots of very mainstream services out there actually querying passwords against this data set. Now, again, it's not the actual clear text password. It is a subset of the hash of the password. And I'll give you a couple of good examples. So EVE Online, the gaming service, now sends tens of thousands of requests to have I been pwned every single day to make sure people aren't using passwords on their gaming service that have been previously breached. One password's built it into your password manager. So you can actually go into your password manager now and say, check every single one of my passwords against this service. Tell me which ones have been previously breached. And it will come back and tell you. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, although even like if you're using a, a, like a password manager or something like, well, a password manager, then obviously each of the passwords that you have, they should be completely unique <laughs> and you shouldn't have this problem where your uh, like password has no, been breached. You, you, you say this, however, <laughs> I actually checked mine the other day. So yeah. I have never until now, until 1Password built this in, had the ability to check every password in my keychain. Yeah. And uh, that they launched this l less than a week before recording. So it's only very recent. So I went in there the other day and I thought, oh, you know, I'll be fine. And I checked, for, I must have about 600 passwords or something. And it's interesting what came back, that there were a number of them which were previously in data breaches. And then they actually broke down into three categories. And category one was I have passwords on things like banks and airlines where they only allow you to have a PIN. And wouldn't you know it, basically every single four-digit number you can conceive of is in Pwn passwords. Ah, well, <laughs> so, obviously. So that was, that was, it wasn't a good feeling when I saw that, even though I know, right? I know it's a problem. Yeah, that's really, really, I, I mean, yeah, I'll have to try out that feature. I'm a user of 1Password, but I didn't check out the feature yet. Yeah, so it's very good. So one of the things that happens when, when like, data is breached and, and, like, the data is published somewhere, most of the time what you get is, is the emails and the hashed passwords. So where do you actually get the passwords? Well, th there's a number of different things that happen with passwords. One of the things that happens with them is they get stored in plain text. So I actually wrote just last week about a data breach of a service called Cash Crate. And Cash Crate had, they actually had some passwords that were hashed, but they also had 2.2 million passwords, which were just plain text. Uh, and in fact, the reason why I wrote about them was because I wanted to take the Pwned Password service and see how many of the passwords in Cash Crate, which were all plain text, were actually already in my service. Uh, and as it turns out, 86% of them were in there. So there are still a lot of passwords in plain text. Yeah. Now, everything that I've put into Have I Been Pwned has come from lists where passwords are available in plain text. And I, I sort of caveated that by saying lists because there are also lots of other lists out there where people have taken data breaches where there have been hashed passwords. Uh, so let's say SHA-1 hashes in the LinkedIn data breach. And they've gone through and cracked them because SHA-1 is absolutely useless for storing passwords. SHA-1 with assault is absolutely useless for storing passwords. Okay, so some of them you get in plain text. Some of them, if they're if they're easily crackable, you crack them and, and then you put them in, into the service. So I haven't gone through cracking them. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one of the reasons is, is that they're really easily accessible in big lists where other people have already done the work. Okay, <laughs> so yeah. It actually saves me that. <laughs> yeah. Another reason is, is there is a little bit of a shadow over the whole premise of cracking passwords. Uh, in fact, there's a case going on in Canada at the moment related to a like a really shady version of Have I Been Pwned called Leaked Source. Got taken down in, I think it was around Jan 2017. And they were actually selling uh, loads of personal data about people to nefarious actors. So, you know, you could go and buy someone's uh, record and it would have uh, your, their name and their phone and their birth date and all this sort of stuff. And anyway, one of the charges in there was around removing cryptographic protections from passwords. And I'm just really conscious that, that that's A, something I don't need to do, and B, it's still a little bit gray at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. For those who uh, have not been following the kind of the hacking scene or, or any of these data breaches, can you talk about the uh, history behind the word pwned? <laughs> Where does that come from? The... History, as I understand it, is the P key is right next to the O key. 
And at some point, somewhere, uh, as legend would have it, in a video game somewhere, someone meant to say owned as in I've just owned you because I've, I've uh, fragged you or whatever it may have been at the time, and they type P instead of O, and then that's just stuck. Yeah. And now, that's, it's, I guess it's a colloquialism which you often see used anywhere from video games through to uh, I've done talks where I've explained what being pwned means and there's one where there's, there's like a nun being hit in the face with a snowball and, and the word pwned over it. And this is just stuff I've found on, on the internet. Uh, I've got one where there's a kangaroo kicking a guy into a dam. Uh, he's been pwned. This is a very strange pwned. <laughs> it's just it, it's things like that. And yes. it's, it, yes. look, it, it is meant to be a bit of a fun word. And, um, you know, maybe I've managed to get it in front of a few more mainstream people than what would have otherwise seen it. <laughs> yes, yes, great. And actually, uh, before we close the topic of this service, uh, what should people do to prevent them uh, their data from being breached? Or maybe you can't prevent that, but at least not have anything bad happen uh, if the data is breached. Well, and this is sort of the amazing thing about it because it's, it is fundamentally simple to avoid either having a breach in the first place or if you are in a breach, avoid any adverse impact beyond the scope of that service. Uh, and those two things are Password Manager and 2FA. Uh, so as I mentioned before, I use the, the Password Manager called 1Password from a company called Agile Bits. Uh, and it's an extremely well-engineered, secure service. They've got white papers on all the crypto. They've got open bug bounties. Yeah, you can get a hundred grand if you find a serious uh, issue with it. <laughs> so they put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. Uh, and that is a fantastic way of storing passwords. And it is the only way you can do this properly. You cannot remember strong, unique passwords across all your accounts. And I've, I've had this argument a gazillion times over the last decade. That's that's just all there is to it. Yep. And of course, number two is 2FA. Uh, if someone doesn't know what 2FA means, it's two-factor authentication, just to <laughs> clarify that. <laughs> yeah. Having more than just a password. Uh, so for example, having to receive a code via SMS or using uh, a code generator like Authy or something on your phone. Yep. So all of these mechanisms which say, not only do you need to have a password, but you need to have this additional layer on top of it. Are fantastic. And when they're done well, they're very, very low friction as well. Okay. So uh, using a password manager and then uh, apply or using uh, two-factor authentication, at least whenever it's it's a service that you actually want to hold on to, <laughs> then that those are good strategies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually realized uh, I'm, I'm using an Australian provider uh, for my email. It's called Fastmail. And uh, one of the things that they actually uh, somewhat recently implemented was that you can generate a unique password for each method that you use the service with. So for example, if you have an email client that you want to use, like a desktop email client, you generate a password that you only use from that client. And then you generate a password for your iPhone and for whatever. Whenever you need a password, you generate one unique password for that device. And when you want to kind of get rid of that device, you can delete that password from, yeah. from Fastmail. And I thought that was amazing. That was just like such a simple idea and so great. <laughs> yeah, and you'll sometimes see that referred to as an app-specific password. So yeah. it's, it's the one account, but it's these different individual implementations of a password against it. And you can... You can nuke them off one by one if you need to. Yeah, yeah, great. Okay, let's talk a little about privacy online. Do you have any strategies for staying private? Are you even worried about the privacy side or are you just focused on the security side? So this is a really interesting discussion because 
I travel in circles where people tend to be more privacy conscious as a nature of their role. Uh, and I tend to be very public insofar as uh, I'm, I'm sort of very active on social media. I tweet a lot. I Facebook a lot. That has been the, the foundation on which I've built my career as it stands today. And I, I sort of see people very often sort of respond or, or behave in ways which, which frankly get to, to my liking a little bit towards the tinfoil hat end of the scale. <laughs> and I, I tend to be probably a little bit more pragmatic about these things. So, you know, I think the first thing is, is that privacy is a very personal thing. Uh, if, you know, if we take the Cambridge Analytica stuff recently, a bunch of people got very upset about that. There was a delete Facebook movement and they, they deleted themselves off the web and said, okay, we're not going to use this anymore. Uh, now, you know, to take myself, I'm not deleting Facebook. I like seeing what my friends in other countries are doing. There is not another social media platform where they are. That, like, that is, that is the platform they're on. I treat it as though it has data which may sometimes be public. Uh, I don't put photos of my kids in the bath in there or something like that. Uh, I do put photos of my kids on there and I set the security such that it faces only my friends. And if ever I screw that up or one of them leaks it or the data is sold to another company, it's not going to be anything compromising. And, and I just think that that sort of pragmatic common sense approach is, is what we, we sometimes tend to lose a bit of. Yeah. So um, I think that in many respects, I'm on the tinfoil hat uh, scale of this, these things. But then again, I also try to be pragmatic. So I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, but I also like try to figure out what can I kind of do for to to kind of minimize the threats or minimize the possible risks involved in having a lot of data at Facebook and so on. I think the majority of the problems that we're going to have with with all of the privacy stuff is something that we have not seen yet, that it's the stuff where uh, computers start looking at the images and start recognizing faces and making connections between individuals and 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 different places all over the world. And, and it's just kind of these uh, threats that we don't really know about yet. Are you concerned about those, especially since you already said that you have your kids, like photos of your kids in social media? I think this is probably one of the most sort of down-to-earth possible things I can say, which is, yeah, to your point, you, you sort of take measures so as yeah, perhaps not to, to invade your privacy too much. If you can do that without sort of compromising on your livelihood, then all the power to you. You know, that, that's fantastic. What sort of gets me is, is when people take approaches that, that are very sort of inconsistent. So yeah, a really good example of this is when I have discussions about password managers, a bunch of people would say, oh, you, you should never sync it by the cloud. You know, don't sync your passwords via the cloud because someone could get you in the cloud. Yeah. And I'm sort of going, look, I've got an iPhone, an iPad, two laptops and a desktop, and I've got to log on to all of them. You know, I'm not going to carry a USB around and <laughs> manually sync it between all these things. Yeah. yeah, I am going to go with let's choose a really well-engineered solution that I have a high degree of confidence in. And then that's the thing I'm going to use. And I'm going to have this little bit of cloud risk. I'm going to take away this other risk, which is potentially, you say, losing the yep. USB, which yep. I manually sync stuff with. You know, I think particularly as we, as we progress through generations that are more internet native than what we have been, th this sort of concept of being online and being visible is something that they come to grips with much easier than what we have that, uh, you know, potentially a bit older than them. And I honestly don't think that trying to keep my kids off the internet is going to do any practical good. I don't think it's going to make any difference. Certainly, I, I choose when to do that. My son is eight. I have more photos of him as an older kid. I've had him do presentations with me on stage. Uh, I'm happy with that. 
Uh, my daughter's five. As she gets a bit older, we'll do the same thing with her. So I don't want to sort of expose them to that too young, but I'm also not going to kid myself and think that they're just not going to appear on the internet if I don't put photos of them there. Yeah, yeah. And actually, <laughs> I remember one of these, like when I started using Facebook, uh, like when was it, 10 years ago or something? And I remember people sending private messages through Facebook. And I was thinking that, what are people doing? Why are they sending private messages through this service? Because I already then knew that it's like run by a college kid somewhere. And I was just like, he's probably <laughs> reading each and every one of these messages. Like, why are you sending private messages? And now, now it feels that like the messenger has become like, people use it for everything. They talk about work through messenger. Are you not worried about that at all? Well, it also depends on the messaging platform too, right? So, I mean, let, let's say for argument's sake it was WhatsApp. Uh, we, you know, we know WhatsApp has very solid end-to-end -end encryption. Now, as, as it turns out, I don't tend to use WhatsApp a lot, but my wife does so that she can talk to other mothers in her mother's group. And, you know, I, I kind of chuckle a little bit because, like, they're all talking about what, what sort of, you know, cake they should make for some kid's birthday party. And it's like full end-to-end -end encryption, which is really resilient to nation-state adversaries and highly sophisticated attackers. <laughs> and they're just getting it all by default. So in, in cases like that, the messaging platform can be really solid. Uh, I, that doesn't worry me, having discussions in a channel like that. But there are some things I don't want to put in a channel like that. I wouldn't want to share a password with my wife. Uh, we, we use one password for families, and that's how we sync something like a password. So, you know, to, to my mind, it's, it's a little bit about trying to choose the right medium for the right sort of conversation. But certainly I, I use messaging platforms very extensively, but often they're just very casual discussions. Uh, and if there was a risk of disclosure, uh, they wouldn't cause me any damage. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's good to hear because I've, I've just like recommended Signal to everyone because that's, uh, that's by default, everything is very like well encrypted. One of the challenges here, and it sort of goes back to that point about me not deleting Facebook, is that you've got to sort of go to where the people are uh, to some extent. Now, look, if, if I wanted to try and use Signal with probably 99% of the people I communicate with using, say, Facebook Messenger, they don't have that. And we've got to go through that whole process of here's how to get Signal, here's how to set it up, here's how to do it properly, versus here's how to go and use a messaging app you're already with. And if at the end of the day, we're just talking about when we're going to catch up and have a pizza, you know, that's okay. We, we can do that there. Uh, but then I'll use Signal uh, if I'm talking to journalists about something sensitive or a lot of people communicating with me about data breaches will use it. The whole premise of end-to-end -end encryption is that the, the intermediary where those messages pass through doesn't have the keys. And a lot of the value proposition of this is that they can't be compelled by law enforcement to go and unlock existing messages or... or it, it, Law enforcement is one scenario. They can't be compromised and someone gain access to keys to unlock those messages unless they can compromise the clients themselves and the endpoints where the encryption is happening, which is then a much bigger issue. That simply is not the case. Uh, so, you know, this is why something like WhatsApp is very attractive to people. Yeah. But then again, I mean, you, you talk about having discussions that are not, uh, that it doesn't really matter if they're disclosed. But I, you also, you've talked a lot about social engineering and you're well, you know about that stuff. And I, and one of the parts of social engineering is that you gather like insignificant pieces of data here and there. And then as a whole, when you know a lot about these, like uh, about an individual through these insignificant discussions that they've had, then actually in the end, you actually have a data said that you can you can use to prove to someone that you are that person for example 
Yeah, well, so, so this is where, again, you've got to do your own sort of risk analysis. And, and what, what you're sort of saying here is I am going to, to say, look, there is I'm not comfortable with, with the uh, chances of someone gaining access to something like Facebook Messenger. Therefore, mm-hmm. I'm going to opt out of that service and I'm going to have my discussion somewhere else where I think the chances of gaining access to it are less. That may be right. We may be proven wrong at some point as yeah. well. I'm, I'm not too sure. But I, I think that the point I'm making here is that to some extent we're all kind of guessing as well about how likely the, the risk yeah, sure. is and then we're trading off something. Uh, so if I was to say I wasn't going to have those discussions on Messenger, I'm going to trade off the ability to talk to a lot of the people I talk to because they're just simply not going to install Signal. Yep. Uh, that's basically, that's just a trade-off that you, like <laughs> each and everyone has to has to make. But what I'm kind of, what I would love for like things to go or the direction that things would go into is that we would have services that are by default encrypted and they're actually services that we can trust. And in that case, you wouldn't need to decide case by case whether it's safe to disclose information here or whether you need to pick some other tool for that because it's by default, it's it's done properly. So if we're closing, let's start closing off uh, this discussion on, on the privacy. If um, What's a pragmatic stance to have on privacy online? So what's what's a way of uh, being online where you don't or you're not exposed to too much risk, but you still get most of the benefits? How how would that work? So the, to me, the pragmatic things are, uh, like I said earlier, password manager and two-step uh, verification or two-factor uh, authentication, depending on what you want to call it. Uh, that's going to give uh, individual accounts a huge amount of protection. The other thing that I'm very pro about is sort of also discussed on, which is being just really conscious about what you digitize where. And in fact, some people don't like me saying this, but even things like the number of times we see people get themselves into very embarrassing situations because they've taken sexting videos or something else along the lines of this is going to cause me real damage when it happens. And and I've sort of written before about saying, look, we've got to make sort of personal uh, privacy judgment calls here about how much risk we're going to take. And people often get very upset because they say, oh, it's victim blaming if you tell someone not to do this. Well, the reality of it is you have got to decide what risks you're going to take. And some things have higher risks than others. It's not to say don't do it, but it's like maybe you want to think about this carefully before you do. (laughs) And and this is, is something that I extend to everything. And like I said before, I'm very conscious about what I put on Facebook. There's a lot of stuff I wouldn't put on there. Even if I felt completely confident sharing it with friends, I'm not going to put it on there because I don't want that to potentially be leaked somewhere else. So I think that's very pragmatic. And, and then to yeah, possibly think about the motivations of the platform. Uh, yeah, when we look at something like Gmail, well, you know, we know that Google makes a lot of money by being able to see what it is that people are interested in. And if you want to put all of your email and communications with them, well, that's going to be a different risk to if you went to a more privacy orientated service or a service which wasn't there with the, uh, I guess, express intent of, of uh, monetizing content. So is there something about the future of the internet that is concerning to you? Well, let's, let's drill down on the whole IoT thing because I, I think this is interesting. And in fact, this, this may also uh, seg nice into the discussion we just had about uh, how do you protect privacy and things online. And look, I'll give you a really good example. So we have got some security cameras at home and they will stream data up to an internet service, which you then authenticate to in order to access the, the, the content of the videos. However, I don't point them at places where 
the family lives, uh, even outdoor areas. I don't point it at the swimming pool because I don't want to take the risk of uh, of that potentially being disclosed and there's like my kids playing in the pool and some weirdo looking at them. So I'll point them at things like publicly facing areas, you know, um, doors, front door, back door, things like that. Yeah. Uh, now that, that, again, is still information that I don't particularly want to share with other people. But it is not the same risk file as a bunch, or risk profile rather, as a bunch of other stuff <laughs> that ends yeah. up on the internet. Yeah, that, and that's a really important thing to uh, to keep in mind. And I think one of the problems with IoT is that I think a lot of people don't even, or you you don't necessarily, if you buy a device, you don't necessarily even know what is all the all the data that gets sent into the cloud. Well, it's it's a combination of things. You're very right about that, and certainly we've seen many devices that uh, say we'll use UPnP to talk to your router and open ports back up into the into the internal environment and expose things you never expected. There are certainly sites you can go to that list exposed webcams, and you see kids sleeping in their bed, you know, publicly broadcast, which is you know totally freaky. The other sort of interesting side of this as well is what about the sorts of data that IoT devices collect? that we just simply never had digitized before. So I had a, a disclosure last year about a service called Cloud Pets. Uh, in fact, this was an IoT device called Cloud Pet, which is a teddy bear with a listing device in it, which sounds really freaky when you say it like that. Yep. <laughs> so, so what you do is you get this teddy bear, you put it in your kid's bed, and they could record messages and send them backwards and forwards to people with a smartphone. And all of these kids' messages were put in an Amazon S3 bucket, and all of the metadata around it was put into a MongoDB publicly facing with no password. Someone found it, dumped all the data. Oh, no. Now, now imagine how sensitive that is. We never had that sort of data digitized only a few years ago. So what's, what's the solution? Don't buy anything that's connected to the internet. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think it's, there's almost a theme going here, isn't it? Which is like, just be conscious of what you're doing and take some, some precautions in order to minimize risk. So, you know, I have the cameras because they're useful and I point them away from the house. So I would do that, but I would not buy my kids a freaking teddy bear with a listening device in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, thanks a lot for your time and thanks for a really interesting discussion. Yeah, no worries, mate. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening. And now after listening to this episode, you might want to head over to haveibenpwned.com to check your email and see whether it's been a part of a data breach. And another thing you might want to do is to start using a password manager. I've been using 1Password for years and I love it. And then I'd recommend you turn on two-factor authentication wherever you can. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Boss Level Podcast. Have a great week. <laughs>